Welcome to the Movie Planet. With Joe. The power of Christ compels you! The, the power of Christ compels you! And Sam. It burns! Oh, it burns! This review of The Exorcist was done October 17th, 2017 on the Movie Playground podcast. I'm your host, John. With me is the Father Karras to my Father Marin, Joel. Sam. Sam! Shit! <laughs> Both dashingly good looking. Well, yes. He, you have a bit more hair. It's an excellent day for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, I nominated The Exorcist uh, for the horror genre. Mm -hmm. uh, we will discuss this classic hit. Which is our number one on our top ten. It is our number one, so we'll see if it stays there. Yeah. Uh, and decide whether this movie belongs in the pantheon of horror movies. There are three movies right now in the horror pantheon. Jaws, with a perfect score of an A. Yep. Uh, it, which was a B-plus between you and I. Should have been an A, but yep. Nope. And uh, Mother, which was a C-plus. Uh, so I'm thinking that this movie is going to leapfrog Mother. As it should. It may stop at it. We'll see. Interesting. We'll okay. see. Okay. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> now, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it down on its ass from the Pantheon in the future. So we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen The Exorcist, what's wrong with you? It's old. Really old. <laughs> <laughs> 1973 old. This week, we are talking about the 1973's The Exorcist, a movie made for $12 million that raked in $441.3 million in 1973. Uh, in 2017 dollars, that's $987 million. Got damn. Domestically. Damn. Worldwide, it's $1.8 billion. That paper, son. <laughs> that paper. Um, it is the highest grossing film Warner Brothers has ever done. Woo! And that's saying a lot. That's the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah. That's uh, the Wonder Woman movie. Really can't even think of Wonder Brothers did that. <laughs> Titanic? Did they do that? Uh, no. Wait, did they? No. Wait. Nope. Wait. No. Wait. Who does Cameron work with? I don't know. Well, hey, directed by William Friedkin, produced and written by William Peter Blatty, based on Blatty's book. I still need to read that. It's uh, it's okay. Like okay. I, I got psyched about. It. I was like, oh, the book, and I read. it. I was like, oh, okay, movie scarier. Hmm. Yeah, and the book is more uh, violent and uh, more fantastic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, starring Ellen Burstyn as Chris McNeil, Max Van Sydow as a old father Marin. He was 40 at the time, and he had to wear makeup the entire time to make himself look 74. He's 40? He was 40 in this movie. What? Yeah, there's a, if you watch the behind the scenes and then putting the makeup on, he's a good-looking young guy. What? I know. And if you, look at, if you look at him now, he looks the same as he did back then. <laughs> That's did, the makeup I job. I just assumed he was dead. <laughs> no, he was, uh, what's his name, uh, in Force Awakens. Holy shit, you're blowing my mind right Wait, now. Wait, you didn't know that? No! <laughs> He was Lars Van Tecca. Yeah, you're blowing my mind right now. 
He looks the same. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, Lee J. Cobb as Lieutenant William Kinderman. Uh, Kitty Wynn as Sharon. Jack McGowan as Burke Dennings, the greatest drunk ever. Jason Miller as Father Karras. And Linda Blair as Regan, the scariest little girl ever put on film. Ever. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, according to our good people at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 88%. The critics, on the average, gave this film a 7.8 out of 10. Hmm. Pretty low. Uh, the audience score, uh, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 4.2 out of 5, with 88% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. Uh, do you think the critics are a little too harsh on this film because of how disgusting it is? Yes. I do, too. I, Especially for the time. I mean, there's you can just watch the whole documentary about how this movie... Had ambu- the theaters had ambulances outside. Oh yeah, because people were fainting and throwing up, like made people ill. And so I think it was too ahead of its time. I think so too. I, th- I think it was ahead of its time. And the funny thing is, is the parts that people were grossed out about weren't necessarily the pea soup moment or anything. When I was watching the behind the scenes earlier yesterday, they were talking about how people were fainting during the arteriogram. Where they put the needle in the in the thing and it starts shooting. Oh god! Yeah, yeah. Oh. that right there. Ah. And I remember watching. I was like, ah. "Oh my god, that is wrong." Oh. <laughs> ah. Yeah, we'll get into that. That's it. That's in my. I think it's in my top five or bottom five or bottom three at some point. Uh, but we're gonna jump into our segment called Inception to Perception, where I dig deep into the research to find out how this movie started as an idea and made its way to the big screen. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. So, uh, hey, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? It wasn't 1973, I know that. No, I had asked my dad... Um, there were a couple films throughout my childhood that I wanted to see, mm-hmm. and I had to ask him for permission. <laughs> and this was one of them. The first one was Fight Club. Okay, yeah. I yeah. begged and pleaded because it looked so cool. The trailer looked so awesome. Mm-hmm. And he saw it on a cruise ship that he was working on, and he goes, no. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well done, Billy. <laughs> so I think around the same exact time, I asked him about The Exorcist because I had seen it at – the blockbuster throwback date and the p- the cover alone caught my interest and i didn't know what an exorcist was i had no idea it just looked right. like a really cool guy standing at a a lamppost yeah exactly <laughs> and i asked him and he thought about it and then finally you know some time had passed and we were in blockbuster like okay maybe the exorcist is like okay don't tell your mother how old are you Okay, you're a little bit older than I was. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? When is the first time you saw this? Well, this is the second time I've told this story on the inter- on, on the show. Uh, the first time was when we did Aliens. Uh, I oh, saw this was uh, I saw Aliens and Exorcist on the same night. Oh, and ugh. I had turned. I put the Exorcist in when I wasn't supposed to watch it, and when the bed started shaking in the film, I. I jumped off the chair, <laughs> <laughs> grabbed the VHS off the VCR, threw it to the ground, and threw aliens in because I thought this would be better. Because the only aliens I knew at the time were ET. Oh, they're yeah. sweet and wonderful little guys. Oh yeah. And so, but then I remember my mom. You know, she was crying. She's like, "I can't believe you saw this. I'm so sorry." And <laughs> we'll watch it tomorrow, and I'll explain everything to you. 
And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So the next morning. Hey, mommy, why is he, she jabbing herself with a crucifix? She, ma- she made me pancakes and some bacon. Oh, good mom. Yeah. And uh, she, she turned on all the lights and opened all the windows and goes, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch this movie and I'm going to explain things. And uh, I didn't realize this at the time, but apparently we had gotten the edited for television version at the Blockbuster. So I never actually saw the crucifix part. Oh. Um, I didn't see that until I was in college, and I thought it was a special edition or something. Uh, but no, that was, that was legitimately the 1973 theatrical. Uh, so yeah, that was the first time I saw it, and it has been the number one scariest movie for me of all time since then. And even to this day, I own it, not to watch it. I own it so that I'm in charge of when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> And even yesterday when I popped it in, I opened all my windows. And I was like, it's going to be an okay day for me. And I, at first I was like, yeah, okay, I'm an adult. This isn't bad. And then, um, yeah, scared the hell out of me. <laughs> but uh, here's a little background of this movie. Because this, this well, m- Before we go into that, I was yeah. looking at, like, hor- like, looking for the classic horror movies that were, um, like, around the same time. Mm-hmm. Everything comes for the most part, after, except for The Last House on the Left, mm-hmm. which that's a very intense movie. But you got Halloween, which is 78. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a year after The Exorcist. 74 then, right? Yeah, The Wicker Man was the same year. I don't know if it was um, close or before or after. Was, Ameri- was American Wo- Werewolf in London around that time? I believe it was. Because there were a string of werewolf movies that happened around that time also. Hills Have Eyes, 1977. Howling wasn't until the 80s, right? No. Um, Well, while you're doing that, in 1971, William Peter Blatty wrote a fictional novel based on a 1941 exorcism. And approximately six weeks later, six months later, Blatty wrote a movie treatment and insisted that the movie be directed by William Friedkin. Oh, you got a little face on. What's going on? American Werewolf in London, the remake. Not remake. No, 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 no. I do not approve. 1981. 81, okay, so, wow. Eight years later. The effects in that are amazing, too. Yeah. The transformation scene alone. That's another movie that was on TV, and my dad walked in and goes, no, 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 no. Well, Blatty writes this movie treatment, and he sends it to William Friedkin, because Friedkin had just done The French Connection. And so he was like, yeah, I want... Somebody with that kind of directorial idea to do this. And Friedkin gets it. He loves it. He sends the manuscript to Warner Brothers. And they start approaching other directors. Like Arthur Penn, Stanley Kubrick, and Mike Nichols. All of them say no. Which Stanley Kubrick? It would have sucked. I think it would have. Um, originally, Mike R- Mark Rydell was hired to direct. But William Peter Blatty insisted on Friedkin instead. Because he wanted his film to have the same energy as Friedkin's previous film, The French Connection. After a standoff with the studio, which initially refused to budge over Rydell, Blatty eventually got his way. Principal photography for The Exorcist began on August 21st, 1972, and the shooting schedule was estimated to run 105 days, but ultimately ran well over 200. (laughs) Uh, Today, you could probably do this movie in 105 days, and then everything you do in post with all the CGI and all that, but you don't do CGI in 1973. No. And it's kind of funny, the behind the scenes of this is... It's like watching people play in a workshop. Tell me this is like 
they have a, like, the bed. They, they've got a wall there, and behind the wall, they've got four guys moving these giant two-by-fours <laughs> up and down to shake the bed. Uh, <laughs> it's true uh, movie-making. Like, they're making it right yeah. there. And the post is probably, like, just, like, ten days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just edit, cut, move. Yeah. Um, Friedkin went to some extraordinary lengths, reminiscent of some directors from the old Hollywood directing style, manipulating the actors to get their genuine reactions he wanted. He, he yanked violently around in harnesses both Blair and Burston, who suffered both back injuries, and their painful screens went right into the film. I was wondering about that, because some of those tosses, they looked hard. Yeah, yeah. When you again, if you watch the behind the scene or the the making of this movie, he really appears more like a sociopath. I was about to say, I bet there's like when uh, the mom gets thrown. Yeah, I bet it was just <laughs> six dudes <laughs> with a wire, and he was like waiting for the nod, <laughs> nod, and just yank. Because <laughs> I thought she hit her head hard. That's when she gets she gets slapped back, and then the dresser comes at her. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> According to the documentary Fear of God, The Making of the Exorcist, however, the injury did not cause permanent damage, although Burston was upset the shot of her screaming in pain was used in the film. I'm not acting here. Get that off. Yeah. It's called method. After asking, fa- speaking of, did you see the Jim and Andy trailer? No. Okay. It's, it's a documentary on the making of Man on the Moon, where Jim Carrey was Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they show all the behind-the-scenes of interactions with them? Of interactions, where he was full-on method. Oh, and God. he was Andy Kaufman all the time. And people are sitting there going, he... Okay, you can stop now. It was, it's unreleased footage from the studio because they didn't want Jim Carrey to look like an asshole. But if you watch it, it looks fantastic. Oh, I can't wait. It's so, check out the trailer. It's amazing. But uh, uh, after asking Father William O'Malley if he trusted him and being told yes, freaking slapped him acro- hard across the face before a take to generate a deeply solemn reaction that was used in the film as a very um, uh, emotional Father Dyer read, read Last Rites to Father Karras. So as he's sitting there on the ground with him, he had just slapped him across the face to get him to act that way. <laughs> Whoa. These are things you would not be able to do today. <laughs> but look what you get. Uh, this is pre-Weinstein. <laughs> he also, fu- oh, no, uh, oh, let's see. He also fired blanks without warning on the set to elicit shock from Jason Miller for one of the takes. Oh Jesus! Who was Christ. Father Karras? <laughs> who I think Karras responded with, "You don't have to do that. I'm an actor." <laughs> That's some Phil Spicer stuff. Wait, yeah, Phil Spicer? No, Phil Spicer. What is it? I don't know. Uh, Spectre. Phil Spector, yes. <laughs> That's some Phil Spector shit right there. And only told Miller that pea soup would hit him in the chest rather than the face, face. concerning the projectile vomiting scene, resulting in his disgusted reaction. Uh, lastly, he had Regan's bedroom set built inside a freezer so that the actor's breath could be visible on camera, which required the crew to wear parkas and other cold-weather gear. <laughs> The Exorcist contained a number of special effects engineered by makeup artist Dick Smith. In one scene from the film, Max von Sydow was actually wearing more makeup than the possessed girl. <laughs> this was because director Friedkin wanted some very detailed facial close-ups, and when this film was made, von Sydow was just a, a, a sprightly 44 years old, though he was made up to look 74. Uh, let's see. Alan McKenzie stated in his book, Hollywood Tricks of the Trade, that the fact that the audience didn't realize Von Sydow was wearing makeup al- at all is a tribute to the skills of veteran makeup artist Dick Smith. 
Yeah. In fact, I believe the best makeup effects was created because of what he did in this movie. <laughs> I'm sure it had me fooled. Uh, let's see. What is now considered the theme from The Exorcist, Tubular Bells, uh, by Mike Oldfield, became very popular after the film's release. And Oldfield himself said he was not impressed with him or how his work was used in the film. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a theme. Exactly. It is arguably the most recognized horror theme ever, beyond yeah. Jaws. Halloween. I think it's more recognizable than Halloween. Which Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did a uh, cover of Halloween. Well, you recently went to that concert, didn't you? Trent Reznor? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was great. A uh, few little bits of trivia here. Due to death threats against Linda Blair from l religious zealots who believed the film glorified Satan, Warner Brothers had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the film's release. <laughs> yeah, I'm not shocked. I'm not either. With <laughs> I'm not shocked at all. Uh, this is the first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture. Uh, the three yeah. films that would follow are Jaws in 75, Silence of the Lambs in 91, and Sixth Sense in 99. And Silence is the only one that won. Yeah. Uh, the scene where, let's see, we, yeah, we talked about that. I wonder how much, so it's like, yeah, you took a slap to the face, and you took some pea soup in the face. <laughs> what was that payday like, though? Well, it was Jason Miller's first role on screen ever. So he was contracted with yeah. a set amount. Probably. Damn. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Poor Linda Blair in that freezer of a room only had a flimsy nightgown to wear. Mm -hmm. uh, and they kind of show her in between takes. They immediately would throw on like piles of blankets on top of her uh, just, just to keep her happy. But I'll say this. In all the behind-the-scenes footage, she's the happiest kid on the planet because she has no idea what's really going on. And Mike, uh, and uh, what's his name? Uh, William Friedkin said... People were wondering how I was going to get a 12-year-old to do some of these scenes. And he goes, I would kid her into doing them. And she was very malleable about it. He, he, he'd be like, okay, well, hey, this time, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're to lay down on the bed, and you're going to take the crucifix, and I'm going to have you stabbing yourself between your legs. And she's like, you're not going to do that. He, yes, I am. And she, it kid her into doing it. Yeah, exactly. It was complete manipulation. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of creepy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, Mercedes McCambridge uh, had to sue Warner Brothers for credit as the voice of the demon. Uh, William Friedkin on the Diane Reem show said that originally she didn't want a credit, saying that she wanted the audience to believe the voice was Regan's. However, after it was released, she changed her mind and was given the credit. Though after she stopped fighting for it, they gave it to her. That's Hollywood right there. Mm. Uh, but here's another Hollywood moment. Linda Blair received her Best Supporting Actress Oscar nomination before it was widely known that previous supporting actress, Mercedes McCambridge, had actually provided the voice of the demon. By Academy rules, once Blair was given the nomination, it could not be withdrawn. But the controversy about Blair being given credit for another actress's work ruined her chances of winning the award. Uh, <laughs> that's shitty. That's super shitty. And finally, in 1985, when Joel Schumacher of the, old, the bad Batman movies Joel fame, Schumacher. when he was filming St. Elmo's Fire in 85 at Georgetown, he attempted to get permission from the Jesuit priest faculty at that school to film there. He was rejected. Schumacher complained to the fac fac faculty, 
You let Bill Friedkin film The Exorcist here in 73. And one of the characters in that movie said, your mother sucks cocks in hell. And one of the Jesuit priests answered, yes, but the devil didn't win in that movie. <laughs> oh, that a boy. Throw your dukes up. Yes. Yeah, yeah there you go. Sassy priest. <laughs> so uh, that is, <laughs> I read that. I was like, that's the best one to end <laughs> <Yeah>. on right there. <laughs> but uh, let's get into the synopsis of this movie. Look, I'm only against the possibility of doing your daughter more harm than good. Nothing you could do could make it any worse. I can't do it. I need evidence that the church would accept his signs of possession. Like what? Like her speaking in a language she's never known or studied. What else? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I thought you were supposed to be an expert. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. Now, if you've seen as many psychotics as I have, you'd realize that's the same thing as saying you're Napoleon Bonaparte. You asked me what I think is best for your daughter. Six months under observation in the best hospital you can find. You show me Reagan's double. Same face, same voice, everything. And I'd know it wasn't Reagan. I'd know in my gut. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! Father Lancaster Mayer. We start off in northern Iraq. Yes. Uh, Max von Sydow, Father Lancaster Mayer, and I didn't know his name was Lancaster, uh, is an elderly Catholic priest on an archaeological dig in Iraq. Marin has a sense of foreboding and encounters a number of strange omens, including the unearthing of a series of confusing items, a near miss with a runaway horse-drawn carriage, and a clock that stops ticking in mid-stroke. Finally, Marin discovers a statue of a bizarre demonic figure. Although the film does not mention it, it is the representation of a dynamic, demonic figure that you will see in two and three called Pazuzu. Pazuzu! <laughs> uh, do you like this opening? I always I feel like it's it, off. It's off, but I feel as though it brings a sense of origin and links Italy, like the you know the original setting of the Bible and right, it was actually filmed. Civilization. It was actually filmed at an actual Assyrian and Babylonian temple. I was wondering about that. Yeah, uh, everything you see there is authentic. Um, I think if this movie wasn't called The Exorcist, if it was called The Possession of Regan, then you don't get this scene. But you have to have it to flesh out. Yeah, exactly. Who like Marin is. Yeah. So I think. It, it, very Indiana Jonesy. Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, and Stargate snatched it too. <laughs> but no, I think it's a good little, you know, you know, it kind of sets the mood that it's not just going to be oh this happy family and for some reason this thing decided to latch on to her. Yeah, it's like it was released, or at least I think it was released, mm -hmm. and then made its way over to the states. Very well could it. That, that's For a, some reason. And that's the big mystery is, why Pazuzu, why the little girl? 
in Georgetown. Who I know, yeah. But do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm trying to toe the line here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we go back to the United States uh, in Washington, D.C.'s upscale Georgetown neighborhood. A successful actress named Chris McNeil begins experiencing strange phenomena. Uh, Chris lives with her 12-year-old daughter, Regan, her personal assistant, Sharon, and two housekeepers uh, who she bosses around like a bitch. Uh, <laughs> Regan's father is estranged for reasons unknown. There are mysterious, unexplained sounds in the attic of the house, which Chris attributes to rats. Regan slowly begins to exhibit strange behavior, undergoing behavioral changes, much like depression and anxiety. She turns up in Chris's bed one night, complaining that her own bed was shaking. Um, this is, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't normally, <clears throat> when it comes to horror movies, I don't like a whole lot of backstory. Just get to it. This movie does both at the same time. <laughs> because every sound you hear in this house is Crazy scary already. I really want to know how they made that, um, like, uh, the quote-unquote rats sound. Yeah. Because that's really creepy. It was some kind of scurrying with a thump. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. When we find out later how many Academy Awards this was nominated for, and you hear the sound editing, you're like, how did it not? The sound itself is a character in this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But, yeah, the rats upstairs... uh, when, when she wakes up in the middle of the night and with a phone call and says, hey, we need you on set, you don't even know Regan's there until she turns over and the kid's sitting there. It's like a good two-minute scene, and then she turns over and the kid's sitting there. I couldn't sleep. sleep. And I'm like... My bed was shaking. And yeah, and I'm sitting there going... What? Uh, huh? What? Um, now, this is what's weird. It, I think in the new version... They immediately take her to the doctor uh, because something's not right. And they do all these tests on her, and at one point the doctor's like, oh, you know, we're, you're going to put your finger in this little machine here. It's gonna, this will read your temperature. And she goes, I'm not putting anything in your machine! And starts yelling like that. And then there's another part where the nurse walks into the operating room, and she's kind of hugging the door and kind of, oh... Kind of ex- experiencing the room in a very <laughs> new to the world right kind now. of thing, and the doctor comes back to talk with Chris about what he's noticed, and he immediately writes her a this prescription for Ritalin, saying that he she has hyperkinetic energy. Yeah, um, and says, "Has your daughter ever swore before?" And she goes, "Well, no, my child doesn't swear." And he goes, "Well, I'm just wondering." She goes, "Well, what exactly did she say?" The doctor says, well, the doctor, the, your child said that if you put, if you put your fingers, oh no, don't you, or get your oh. fingers away from my vagina or something like that, and they both kind of laugh it off. Like, that's really weird that she would say something like that, you know? But that whole scene is part of the 12 minutes that was cut that was put in the extended version. Oh, okay. I don't think it belongs, though, because it already is, it starts the, let's, try to figure this out from a scientific point of view as opposed to we, you have an atheist mother who has no idea what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and you haven't really established what she does. You don't know what she's doing yet. We haven't seen her on set yet uh, as the actress. But what did you see over there that you were kind of like, oh, my gosh? So I thought this was the scene that you were talking about, mm. and it's, it's actually from The Exorcist Three, oh. and it's the nurse station scene. <laughs> and so I'm looking, I'm getting closer to the screen, closer to the screen, like, okay, she'll start rubbing the door, you know, being mm-hmm. all, 
lovely and whatnot. And then she opened the door. I, I can't hear any sound on the laptop right now. Right. But she turns around, and then somebody's following her with, like, hedge clippers in a white gown. Yeah. Ugh. Access is three. The part that, that messed with me was there's a scene where they're walking through the, the asylum, and you see someone crawling on the ceiling. Yeah, and I was like, oh, "What? No. It's in the background." You're like, "What the hell was that?" Uh, <laughs> Aronofsky, get off the set. See, <laughs> see, I had, you know, I had never seen two or three. Um, I think the, f- I think I saw the trailer for Exorcist the beginning. Okay, I did. I saw the Exorcist, the trailer for Exorcist the beginning in theaters, and mm-hmm. Matt was like, "Dad, I need to see the Exorcist. I need to see the Exorcist." Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I still think that scene where the in the cave where the cross is it is the cross upside down? Yes. And she's standing on it. That's like the one where she is the is yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she was the 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 Bond girl from Goldeneye. Oh yeah, she was. <laughs> oh yeah, she was. <laughs> yeah. Which is so it's like uh throwing back to um the exorcist mm-hmm. uh Father Marin it was said that he performed an exorcism on a boy that lasted months. The beginning, yeah. that wasn't it. I think that was supposed to be it, but that wasn't it, right? The beginning of Exorcist 2 is that scene. Oh. Okay. Yeah, because that's when you see... Because the whole thing is really Pazuzu versus Karis. Yeah. All three movies. Uh, Pazuzu! <laughs> 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 okay, we get back to the movie here. Chris is working on a new movie in Georgetown with a director known as Burke Dennings. Uh, while filming a scene one day, she notices a young Catholic priest watching her. His name is Damien Karras. Checking that out. Father Karras has a background in psychology and counsels parishioners at a nearby church. Chris also notices him while walking home from a shoot one day. So, okay, there's a strange guy here. and uh, I do like how authentic this looks. This does look like they just got a bunch of people on a movie set. Okay, guys, we're doing a movie. Uh, just act like you're interested in the movie within the movie. Go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Karis is a thoughtful, conflicted man. He discusses his vocation with a superior and asks to be transferred because he feels he is losing his faith. He also has an elderly mother who lives alone in a slum in New York. He visits her and is reminded of how lonely her life is, and he feels guilty that she has to live in such poor surroundings. Well, he is on a uh, <laughs> father's paycheck. Not really much coming in there. Oh. You get free free housing for yourself. I don't think you get free free housing for everybody you know. Um, it does build who this guy is. He is very Bruce Springsteen, like other side of the tracks, working class very. father. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the fact that he's a skeptic also. And he's a boxer. And he's a, yes, they did a really big thing about it. let's highlight the boxer thing. Like maybe that'll come into play at some point. He's like a box with the demon. He's a fighter. Yeah. Uh, but they they really, you have the mother who's clearly an atheist, you have the father who's losing his faith, and this sweet little girl uh, who, you know, it's really hard to find a 12-year-old that can act. She did it. She oh, was yeah. fine in all the scene. every scene she was in, she was fine. I'm like, how come she didn't do anything else after this? And it's because she was so damn good in this role. She was so, so good, good so scary, it ruined her career. Because nobody could see her as anything else at this point. Oh, yeah. 
It's the it's Mark Hamill. Everybody saw him as Luke Skywalker, yep. no matter what he did. Um, well, that doesn't. Well, shit. You get Harrison Ford. What's his excuse? Oh well, he immediately. Ju- First of all, he had done American Graffiti beforehand. Never seen that. Okay, that was George Lucas's. He was nominated for Best Picture. Damn. Yeah, that's his first film, Beyond THX. Mm. Uh, but we'll get into that because like, th- that came out this year also, American Graffiti. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Karis, uh, let's see. Uh, the strange occurrences in the McNeil house begin to increase. Regan reveals that she has been playing with a Ouija board and claims that she has the ability to commu- communicate with a spiritual entity all by herself named Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy. <laughs> <laughs> a nearby Catholic church is desecrated. A statue of the Virgin Mary painted crudely and adorned with conical clay additions made to resemble breasts and a penis. Regan also works with clay and paint, making small animal sculptures. Now, a lot has happened here. First of all, the Ouija board scene. I hate this scene. <laughs> she doesn't have supernatural abilities. Yet she pulls that Ouija board, or she shoots it across the thing without touching it. Yeah, that's, that's the point. She doesn't have the powers. So why is it moving? Because of Captain Howdy. But that's the problem, is that right after that, they try to contact Captain Howdy. He's nowhere to be found. Well, he's just like... And if you're, if you're Chris, and you're sitting there, and you see this, you're jumping up. You're not sitting there going, oh. No, she just doesn't believe it. She just saw it with her own eyes. Yeah, if uh, you, her hands were on it, so maybe. I'll say this. Sam, if your keys are right here, and I said, take your keys. And they went whoosh, across. You would actually get up for a second. Like, what was that? You would be like, oh, Am I another Jedi? day at the Joe's house. I'm a Jedi. What's up? <laughs> I'm a Jedi. I'm a Jedi. <laughs> Sorry you had to see that. You would check under the table. You do something. It's the only scene where I go, eh, they could have worked a little bit longer on this one. I can feel you. I yeah. can feel you there. Uh, but also, then we get to the, uh, are we supposed to believe that because Regan is working in clay and paint, that she's the one that did this to the statue? Is that what they're I believe to so. Do? Okay. Her window's always open. Or she could have just connection. jumped out and done something. Yeah. I think they should have done like a sleepwalking yeah. kind of scene. Which, just by the way, are there no screens on any of these goddamn windows? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is 70s, man. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself. Meanwhile, Father Karras' mother falls ill, and due to lack of funds, she's placed in a very shabby hospital and resigned to a ward for a mental patient. Why would you do this to me? Damn Why? Damn me. Damn me. Damn me. I hated her. I hated her, but that, that scene is creepy. Oh, that's the first time I've ever been, like, kind of creeped out by a... It's not an insane asylum. It's just a home for elderly women, right? Well, it's a, well it is a... Psych, it's not a psych ward. I think it but is. It looks like it. I, I think. I think that event. I think it's a. Refo- I'll say this. Maybe it's a. Reform I guess because he can't afford anywhere else. Right. And the brother's like, "What? Are you gonna pay for it?" <laughs> um, but yeah. That. But there's a. When they start like going after him, I'm like, "Oh, don't touch me! Don't touch me! Don't touch me! Don't touch me!" And that's the thing. He doesn't do what you would mostly see fathers doing, like which is you know, bless them, bless them, bless them. He kind of shirks them off and throws them off. Like, get the. F- off me, you yeah, know? And which it, I love. I was like, "Whoa, he really is losing that faith." All right, <laughs> Father Karras is distraught when he visits her, and she seems to blame him for her situation. And later, she passes away under these conditions, yeah. adding to his sorrow and the uh, stuff that happens in Exorcist Three, which takes place in a very similar place. 
Backflip. Yeah. I'm gonna have to do some homemaking. Watch those movies. Uh, cr- cr- uh, no. There's a reason we're not doing a trilogy here. All right. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Linda Blair is very good in The Heretic. <laughs> Which one's that? The second one. I'll watch the second one. Yeah. She's also. I think she's six years older. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Chris has an elaborate party at her home with a number of affluent guests. One of her guests is another Jesuit named Father Dyer, who uh, loves playing the piano like Liberace. <laughs> and Chris asks him about Karis, having noticed him and referring to him as, quote, intense. <laughs> she finds that Karis and Dyer are good friends. During the party, Regan appears happy and social, but she reappears after being sent to bed, dressed in her nightgown, pisses on the carpet in front of the guests while we- making an ominous statement to a prominent astronaut. You're going to die up there. <laughs> and then proceeds to pee on the floor. Pee on the floor. <laughs> After the guests leave, Chris bathes Reagan and puts her to bed, but is startled by a loud sound from Reagan's bedroom. She rushes back down the hall and discovers Regan's bed shaking violently, rising up off the floor with Regan on it. Chris jumps on the bed, and it still levitates. And I jump off the chair, grab the VHS, and throw it to the ground. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> uh, th- now, th- this is one of those things like, this is after a dude dies. Mm. Did he try to go up and, like, play with her a little bit? You mean Burke? Yeah. This is not after Burke dies. Because Burke leaves the house at that point, drunk off his ass, and they put him in a taxi. It's, n- it's not until, the, I think, the next night where you see the death on the staircase. Because Chris leaves, and Burke is the one in charge of the kid. I'm just trying to figure out. Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, no, he didn't try to touch her. He just got fucked up. He just, he just showed up on the wrong day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Burke, is, I'll say, Burke is probably the most belligerent drunk for a tiny guy. Walks right up to the German guy, just starts calling him a Nazi. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> Uh, okay, Chris subjects Regan to a series of medical tests to discover what the problem is, and everybody in the theater grabs a barf bag for what is about to go on. This in itself, the sound, the, it is so, uh, I want to say, invasive to this girl. Uh, the doctors are unable to discover anything despite putting Regan through some grueling, painful procedures, Oof. including the arteriogram. Oh, they stick that little God needle in the throat, and it shoots blood out. And then they stick another, another piece. Oh, t- that's the worst part. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I, oh. And on top of having that in there, then they stick a big uh, EKG machine around it. <laughs> and you can hear her screaming. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, make it stop. stop. She's done nothing wrong. <laughs> God. Oh, it's hard to watch. Uh, Woo. The best they can come up with is that Regan may have a lesion on her brain, but ultimately they are frustrated when nothing appears on her brain scan. At Chris's house, Regan suffers what appears to be a seizure and two doctors visit to assist. They find her rising and falling up and down on the bed in a way that seems impossible for a human being. And I love the fact that they actually tried to uh, rationalize what had been happening before they see this. You know, well, some people are able to lift a car up in certain situations. And you can see Chris is going, what the hell's wrong with you two? The bed was shaking. Shaking. (laughs) Uh, And then when you see them, first of all, you see Reagan flip her. She's going up and down on the bed. 
Yeah. And she stops. And did you see her throat? No. Okay. She stops, arches her back, and she goes, she has this ah, like that. And the throat expands like a balloon is under it. I'm looking this up. It is so weird. Then, uh, let's see. When they try to sedate her, she hurls them across the room with abnormal strength, speaking to them in what seems to be a male voice. Keep away. The sow is mine. <laughs> Eventually, they sedate her and tell the mom, yeah, she's going to be asleep for about a day and a half. And it reminded me of the Ghostbusters scene where he's like, i just given her about 24 cc's of this. She's going to take a little nap. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to go night-night. But that Ghostbusters scene is taken directly from this part. Uh, I want to know how they're do. Oh, her throat. Y- you see it? Whoa! There it is. <laughs> like, how do they do that with um, the little girl? Prosthetics. Putting it on the throat. No, I meant like the, the shaking part in the Oh, the where she's lifting it down? Yeah, but even then she's like, she's getting tossed up. It was no, our, that was like, the harness. That was the back harness that we talked about earlier. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. She throws these guys across the room. The sow is mine. And at that point, if you're a doctor, you really can't say, well, I, um, she might have ADD. <laughs> Maybe more Ritalin. Have you tested her to be on the spectrum? <laughs> <laughs> she may have Asperger's. Yeah. We have a school for her in Brentwood. Out of options, they advise Chris to search for a psychiatrist, but they also reluctantly discuss another possibility. They mention the phenomenon of demonic possession and the right of exorcism. And Chris ain't having it. He's like, you got to be kidding me. No. But when she's sitting down with the table of doctors, mm-hmm. if anywhere, anyone were to bring up exorcism to me, in an, like if somebody, if this is happening to me, that was a really good pitch. It, I'm not yeah. going to lie. That was a really good pitch. You can tell. Because you can. They have exhausted all options at this point. <laughs> yes. He's like, some tribes believe that this happened, um, and sometimes it just triggers the brain. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, that's not a bad idea. You kind of convinced me here. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> now, while they seem to hold professional contempt for it, they do admit that it has been known to solve problems, such as what Regan is going through. Chris is skeptical, having no religi- real religious affiliation of her own. And this is the, uh, the biggest strength of this movie. Taking an idea that is owned by Christians and making atheists afraid of it. Oh, yeah. That is the <laughs> that's biggest brilliant. strength of this film. That's brilliant. Uh, and that's why having Chris be someone who is not a believer works so well in this. Because if she was... She, she wouldn't have gone to all the doctors. She'd been like, I need a priest right now. Just do a blessing yeah. or something. Uh, you needed somebody like this. And I, I'll go into something later on, which is there is only one movie I can think of that has successfully done what The Exorcist did in the last 30 years. Uh, and it's because they used the same template, but instead of going through doctors, they went through uh, the legal system. And that was The Exorcism of Emily Rose, where they took something and they didn't make it superstitiously I that movie fantastic. Was awful. They didn't, well, here's the weird thing. It's awful by today's standards because everybody, want, everybody wants to see a house levitate. They want to see uh, somebody shoot lasers from their f-ing eyes and all this shit. And what that movie did was it took uh, situations that could physically happen 
and they rationalize it with science all the way through oh, until you realize something. Weren't, that, weren't they in a trial yes. throughout the entire film? Yeah. Uh, and it's about the death of this little girl, Emily Rose. I thought it was the, which I thought it was the teenage girl. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I say little girl, I mean teenage kid, Emily Rose. Oh, okay. And who's the person on trial is the priest that did the exorcism. Yeah. And so, ooh, I gotta watch this. It's it is a really really good movie. I remember the trailer being so scary. No, yeah, it is. It's it's fan- it's the only movie I can think of in the last thirty years that did an exorcism uh, tale, right, without trying to make it a spook fest the entire time. What did you think of the right? With Anthony Hopkins, I thought it was okay. I, I, I thought the, the right came after em- Emily Rose, so I was kind oh, of on yeah. the on the side of listen, you got to top this one. You didn't, sorry. Yeah. Uh, same with uh, the Last Exorcism, uh, which was a total joke. Yeah. And then you got the Conjuring movies where you're like, <laughs> no, what? <laughs> sorry, not a, happening. The Conjuring is an A plus for me. But the way they portrayed the exorcism in it is it in that one. Yeah, it's an exorcism. Yeah, it's. No. This one seems okay. I wouldn't call this an. I wouldn't call it an exorcist movie. I would call it a haunting movie. Okay, so it falls the under the Amityville haunting. Yes, or the poltergeists. Yes, because it is. It was a. The demon. But it was attached to the house. Yeah, it wasn't the a malevolent force. Yes. I love yes, because it started with the woman who was um, uh, uh, like cut the baby's throat and then hung herself. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. proclaimed her love for Satan. So it's more of a haunting film. I know I've seen Conjuring like two or three times. I don't remember any of it. Largely forgettable. <laughs> well, shortly after all this happens, Chris is visited by a kindly detective named Kinderman. Who seems who likes films? He likes talking Kinderman about films. Kinderman loves the films. Uh, could you have a could you autograph for my Volta? Would you mind topping me off, good sir? Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, who seems suspicious of Burke's death? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped something there. The situation worsens when Chris is out one evening. She returns to find the house deserted except for Regan, who is alone in her bedroom and appears to be in deep sleep. The bedroom is freezing cold. The window standing wide open, and she is uncovered. Sharon returns, and Chris is furious with her for leaving Regan unattended. But Sharon explains that she left Regan in the care of Burke, who was visiting the house while she went to the pharmacy to get Regan's medication. Burke's pre- absence is unexplained until the doorbell rings, and an associate of Chris's breaks the news that Burke has just died on the steps outside Chris's house. There are a few places in America that I want to visit. I want to visit the staircase. Oh, I want to go there so bad. <laughs> I have, there, there are bands that I listen to. That po- whenever they go, they post a photo on the steps, mm-hmm. and I'm so envious. The situation worsens when Chris is out one evening, and when she fi- ret- I just read that. Damn it! Shortly after this, Chris is visited by a kindly detective named Kinderman, who likes films, who seems suspicious of Burke's death. He questions Chris about the events of that evening, and Chris is nervous, hesitant to tell him about Regan's problem. While he's visiting, he notices a few small animal figures that Regan has crafted. They are similar in style to the desecration of the statue in the church. Kinderman leaves, and immediately a violent disturbance comes from Regan's bedroom. Chris hears a deep male voice bellowing at Regan to do it, and Regan screaming in protest. In the bedroom, Chris finds Regan plunging a crucifix violently into her vagina, 
while Chris tries to stop her, Regan assaults her with impossible strength, and furniture around the room starts to move on its own. As Chris watches in horror, her daughter's head turns completely around backwards, and she speaks to Chris in Burke's voice, saying to her, Do you know what she did, your thing daughter? Chris then realizes that Regan is responsible for Burke's death. Um, I loved the scene as a kid. I hate it today because I can believe most of what's happening in this. I'll even go with all the stuff flying around the room. I cannot get behind someone twisting their head 360 <laughs> degrees around and living. I can't. It was just 180. The spinal cord would have snapped. <laughs> it's physics. <laughs> She's possessed. <laughs> That's all I need to say. But you hear it cracking when she turns her head. <laughs> I love. I so I just looked up like the location of those steps. Uh, and it I is Georgetown, I, right? I, yeah, I put the address into Google, and it's literally got an arrow, and it's the landmark. The Exorcist Steps. Yes. It's on Google Maps as The Exorcist Steps. <laughs> and fun fact, the stone steps at the corner of Prospect Street Northwest and 36th Street Northwest leading down to M Street Northwest in Georgetown mm -hmm. were built in 1895. That's, uh, I was going to say. Uh, that's a, uh, well, it's an old city. Yeah. Uh, construction and uh, the adjacent capital traction the adjacent Capital Traction Company car barn mm -hmm. for the Exorcist, the steps were padded with a one-inch thick rubber to film the death of Father Karras. Spoiler alert. Which is, because I'm thinking one-inch thick rubber, that's still tough. That's still, yeah. You think William Friedkin actually threw him down the stairs too? He was like, you know what? You're going down these also. <laughs> <laughs> he probably, he probably's like, hey, bud, okay, okay, come here. So we got to talk about that last scene. Look, I get it. He's like, you know, he's distracted. He's got his hand waving, like rolling. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I just don't know. And then pushes him. <laughs> Stand here for a second. I'll be right back. <laughs> just gives him a kick. Uh, desperate, Chris arranges to meet with Father Karras. When she mentions the notion of exorcism, Karras is almost amused. He tells her that exorcism is nearly unheard of and that he doesn't know anybody who has ever performed one. Chris is distraught and convinces him to meet with Regan anyway. Karis is shocked by the girl's appearance. She is tied to the headboard, her face misshapen and covered in lesions, her voice deep and gravelly. Regan announces that she's the devil. And she, yeah, she's, who are you? I am the, the devil. devil. I am the devil. And, and toys with Karis in a number of ways, <laughs> seeming to make a drawer next to the bed open all by itself, then speaking to Karis in a number of languages. <laughs> I love, <laughs> when she opens the door, he goes, He's just, he's so chill about it. He's like, you do that? Yeah. He goes, yes. Do it again. Closes it. Do it again. It would be in, too much. No, no, in due time. Oh, I thought she said it'd be much too vulgar a display. Of oh, power. yes. I think that was her <laughs> second response. Okay. It'd be a much too vulgar display of power. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, your mother's in here with us. Really? Then if my mother's there, then you must know her maiden name. What is it? And then he gets up. What is it? And she <laughs> throws the pea yeah. soup all over. <laughs> Unfortunately, I saw Scary Movie 2 before I saw no! this. Oh, Marlon Wayne's damn you. <laughs> yeah. So 
All, all I can think about is that scene. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, Regan vomits spectacularly all over him. Uh, and Jason Miller just goes, we, this was not in the script. <laughs> Chris cleans Karis' sweater and discusses Regan with him. Karis is still not convinced that Regan is possessed, especially because Regan says she's, quote, the devil, and he recommends, the psych recommends psychiatric care for her. Chris pleads with him to help her obtain an exorcism, swearing that the thing in the bed upstairs is not her daughter. <laughs> uh, if you, okay. If you've signed on to this movie and you've started to see all the shit that's going on in this movie. Well, at this point, we've already seen the spider walk, too. Yeah. At some point as an actor, do you question whether or not you're in a good movie or not? Oh, I think so. And yet I they are acting so. their asses off. This is the best Ellen Burstyn, I feel, has ever done. <laughs> I've never seen another film with her. Well, I take that back. The Notebook. She was the, old, she was the old lady in The Notebook. Huh. <laughs> the one who doesn't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. That's her. Uh, yeah, it's a b better performance. In The Exorcist. Karis visits Regan again and records their conversation, during which he sprinkles Regan with water. He tells her it is holy water, and she begins to writhe in pain, seemingly going into a trance and speaking in a strange language. Later, he tells Chris that it will be difficult to make a case with the bishop for possession. The water he sprinkled on Regan was simply tap water and was not blessed. And I love this. Let's seed doubt now. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> The bishop and Karis himself would consider Regan to be mentally ill and not possessed. Chris confides in Karis and tells him that Regan was the one who killed Burke Dennings. Later, Karis uses his tape recordings of Regan's seemingly un incomprehensible babble to discover that she is really speaking backwards in English. A phone call from Sharon interrupts him. She summons him into the house to see Regan, not wanting Chris to see that's happening. As they look at Regan's unconscious body, the words, help me, begin to materialize on her stomach, rising up in her skin like scar tissue. Oof. <sighs> there are so many iconic scenes in this. <laughs> it's, yeah. hard, it's hard not to just like sit in awe at this movie. And this the fact that it's done without CGI. This is like one of those movies where I wish I grew up in the 60s. Yeah. I wish I grew Born up. In the 60s, Born in the 60s, formative years in your 70s. Like seeing all these classic films... Mm -hmm. For the first time and experiencing them, not being jaded. Like the first movie, the first horror movie that I ever watched that was, no, yeah, the first mo horror movie I ever watched. I'm trying to think of a Starship Troopers or not. Is that a horror movie? When you're well, a yeah. five year old. Okay, well, then mine was The Wizard of Oz. That scared okay. the hell out of me. No, okay, so, <laughs> no, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street's. Um, uh, new nightmare. Okay, all right, right, right. That's when they tried to reboot the franchise. Yeah, when I was six. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, but that was yeah. that. By, at, by that point, Freddy Krueger had turned into a comical figure. There's nothing comic about about skinning the cat. Did you have a cat? No. It's when he starts like picking her up, and she's like, she's getting thrown on the ceiling and dragged, and he's slicing her up. Oh, okay. And her blood is just painting the walls. And then the dude, the, I guess the dad, like the first kill, is driving his truck. And then Freddy comes up between his legs and just grabs his dick. Hey, Regan does that. Yes, <laughs> she does. <laughs> yeah, then I saw Star Trek. <laughs> so I'd seen that 
couldn't sleep for two days, obviously, because he's going to get me in my dreams, and I see him everywhere I go. This is real. I'm going to die. Naturally. Yeah. I think that's (laughs) that same year. (laughs) My... So we had a good friend that lived up in the cul-de-sac that I lived in in Bellevue, mm-hmm. and he is ten years older than me. Yeah, ten years older than me, um, but was part of the, like the family friends and whatnot. And he was like, "Hey, Billy, let's go see a movie. Like, bring your kids; it'll be fine." It was Starship Troopers. <laughs> when my brother was five, <laughs> my brother was five, and I was seven. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember. No, there's there's some nudity and there's Dina Meyer looking nice. Yeah, and there's people <laughs> getting their arms melted off and the doors like s- closing on his midsection and just medic. Yes. <laughs> Why haven't we done that film, Starship Troopers? Yes, we can. Yes, let's do it. Why not? We've done. Robo I want to revisit it. Uh, we should just do all the Paul Verhoeven's uh, yes. catalog. That yes. Basic Instinct. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, seeing a bug suck out the brains. And I remember walking out the theater, my dad just, we got in the car, my dad just <laughs> put his arms up on the <laughs> steering wheel and just shook his head. He's like, boys, please do not tell your mother about this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you know, we're at, <laughs> yeah. we're at parties with my parents' friends, and we're like, we saw this movie, Starship <laughs> Troopers, and there was a bug that, like, sucked out his brains. And that's the thing. You know you're in a good movie when Michael Ironside has to say the line, it sucked out his brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. Back to The Exorcist. Uh, Karis reluctantly agrees to try and get an exorcism for Regan, although he seems to have more in common with the doctors who recommend it as a form of shock therapy. The church f- calls in Father Marin to perform the exorcism. With Karis assisting, Marin has performed exorcisms in the past, including a difficult one that nearly killed him, according to the bishop. When Marin arrives at the McNeil house, Regan bellows his name from upstairs as if she knows him, and she makes strange animal sounds. He warns Karis about conversing with the demon and reminds him that the demon will mix lies with the truth to confuse and attack them. Marin! <laughs> when they enter Regan's bedroom, she immediately begins with a string of obscenities. Marin, and apparently, this was his second, this was Max von Sydow's second day of filming. Uh. He showed up, walked into that room to deliver his lines. When she, delivered, when she delivered the lines back with the obscenities, he forgot his lines. He was like, re- restart the cameras. I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> it threw him off completely. <laughs> and they have video of these scenes that are not dubbed, that you hear just Linda yeah. Blair's voice. And they're still creepy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, let's see. She constantly curses at the priest. And is, this one of those fir- is this one of the first movies where a child is saying just awful things? Um, yes. Okay. But this is horrifying. Nowadays, it's funny. Yeah. You got kick ass. Which is funny. Just God. <laughs> Uh, Marin and Karis recite the ritual of exorcism, and Regan begins manifesting strange phenomena such as levitation, telekinesis, and an abnormally long tongue, and strange vomiting. She constantly curses the priest and emits evil laughter and verbal abuse. Regan begins to talk to Karis in the voice of his mother, and he starts to break down. Wow. Tell me how could you do this to me? Uh, She's got the hand up, you yeah, know, the little Italian like it? pizza hand. Oh, I thought you meant the hand up the grandma, <laughs> like an it. Oh, just no, 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 no. Like the Italian. Yeah. Well, tell me, why you do this to me? Where is the spaghetti? Where is the spaghetti? 
Uh, <laughs> Regan begins... Okay, okay. Marin sends him away, and when he returns, he finds Marin dead on the floor, the victim of a heart attack. Um, now, there, this, there is a scene in between this that's cut out of the original, that's put back in for the extended, and that is they take a break, and Father Marin and Father Karis are on the steps, and Karis is asked straight up, why this little girl? And apparently, Blatty, P- William Peter Blatty, was really pissed that they took the scene out because it was the heart and soul of the entire movie. And that is what Von Cito responds with, which is, it's not him attacking her. It's Pazoo attacking everyone around her and showing them despair and bringing them to that point. And it's not her. It's we are the target. Mm-hmm. And y- if you don't have that scene in here, that's a that's a really strong scene because I've never seen that. But it also makes sense because the exorcism should take a while, not just one shot and you're done. Yeah, they needed the break in between, especially when you see that Marin has health issues. You know, he's taking those little pills. I don't probably for hypertension. Looks like probably. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great scene that if you have not seen this movie, don't look at the seventy three. Watch the extended version. Uh, it has that, and it's got that doctor scene I talked about earlier where she's uh, exhibiting abnormal behavior. Mm. Uh, and then the spider walking in there, too. That's, a, that's cool to see. Ugh. <laughs> you need to see that just to load up your nightmare bank in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> God, that scene holds up. It really does. Uh, so uh, Marin sends him away. When he returns, he finds Marin dead on the floor, the victim of a heart attack. Reagan cackles gleefully, infuriating Karis, who grabs her and shouts at the demon, Come into me! Take me! The transference works almost immediately. Karis begins to transform, and Regan returns to her normal self. Mother! Before Karis can harm her, his normal personality breaks through for a split second, and he commits suicide, hurling himself out of Regan's window. Just as Burke did, he tumbles down the stairs outside Regan's window after being pushed by William Friedkin and lays dying in the street below. By chance, Father Dyer happens upon the scene and administers the last rites to his friend. If he was just lying there and he's given the last rites, typical scene. Okay, last rites, there it is. The fact that he's moving his hand. Oh, he's moving his hand, yes. I was uh, that that it's little things like that that make this so great. Uh, <laughs> you're just as an audience member, you're just in shock and awe because you know it's like the extras. Good old triumph. <laughs> <It'll>, <laughs> Jesus will come through. The power of Christ compels me. Good did and not, he kills himself. Yeah, you know to save the girl, but he's just in it. Agony. But if you go by Christian dogma, he's going to hell now. Oh, for sure. So did the devil win or lose? Seems like Pazuzu won. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there we go. Uh, In a brief epilogue, we see Chris and Regan as they prepare to leave the house in Georgetown. They are visited by Father Dyer. Chris speaks with him privately and tells him that Regan doesn't remember anything about the possession or the exorcism. Regan then appears and greets him cheerfully, transfixed by Father Dyer's white collar. Before they leave, she suddenly hugs Father Dyer and kisses him. As Chris pulls away in their car, she orders the driver to stop for a moment and gives Father Dyer the religious medallion that belonged to Father Karras in their struggle. Regan had torn it from his body, and it was in her room all along. Is this, was this the thing that Pazuzu came here on? 
Okay. I always attributed it to I just don't know how it got there. Yeah, I always wondered. Well, Marin was the one that found it. So it came on Marin. Oh, okay. And when Marin, at the very end of that northern Iraq scene, he does return to the United States. Now, where he is, I don't know. But apparently, he's near Georgetown. Or, I don't know, something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's an unexplained thing. It's the MacGuffin. <laughs> it's what everybody's searching for. Um, but that, so, yeah, so that's the end of the movie. Then you hear that. <laughs> now we go to the Academy Awards. Did the awards get it right? Let's start some music, please. Yeah, it's time to go to the Academy, the Academy Awards. Awards. We make it better. <laughs> this is when the Academy Awards mean, meant something. It was nominated for 10 awards. It won two. It was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, the Sting won that year. American Graffiti was up, Cries and Whispers, The Exorcist, and A Touch of Class. Uh, of these five movies, the one that stands the test of time is The Exorcist. About to say, I've never seen any of those films. The, Sting, the Sting is awesome. It's Paul Newman, Robert Redford. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and they're and at their height. esque they're, they're at their height. Like Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid. They're the duo you want to see. They are Mel okay. Gibson and Danny Glover. Got it. <laughs> uh, best director, George Roy Hill wins for The Sting, but George Lucas gets his first nomination there for American Graffiti, and William Friedkin for The Exorcist. I'm sure that they did not tell anyone what he did to be the director on that movie. Uh, if they had known, he may not have been directing. Or he wouldn't have gotten that Academy Award or a nominated for it, I mean. You're hearing the songs, aren't you? Uh, best Actress, Ellen Burstyn was up for this, but she lost to this Glenda Jackson, who nobody ever saw again. Oh, touch of class. Um, then for Best Supporting Actor, uh, Jason Miller, Father Karras, but he lost to this John Houseman guy from The Paper Chase. Uh, best Supporting Actress, Linda Blair is nominated, and Tatum O'Neill wins it to become the How? youngest person to ever win an Academy Award. Linda Blair's performance in this is so unbelievably... We go Astounding. back. We go back to the trivia, which was that the vocal was not her. Oh, and so she got nicked for that. Damn. I know. Damn. Uh, best screenplay based on material from another medium. It did win for that. It was William Platy, Peter Blatty's novel. Novel. So, and then best sound. It won for that, which rightfully yeah, so. Yeah, rightfully so. Uh, best art direction. It didn't win, but The Sting was a period piece. You're never gonna lose or win to a lose yeah, to a period no. piece. I mean, it's just not gonna happen. Uh, cinematography, the whole thing took place in a bedroom. It's lucky it was up for the this shots film. were unbelievable. Yeah. Well, yeah, it took the place in a bedroom. And best film editing, I think if they had released the, uh, the newer version of this with the subliminal shots of the face, yeah. you win best film editing then. Uh, because it had a few more of those in it, actually. It had more. Yeah. Okay. Now, at the Golden Globes, it was nominated for seven movies and it won four. Uh, it was nominated for Best Actress. Ellen Burstyn was nominated for that, and she lost. But Best Director, William Friedkin, got his award. There you go. And I think rightfully so. Uh, best Film and a Drama, Exorcist wins. Absolutely. And Best Screenplay, Exorcist wins. Yeah. And Best Supporting Actress, Linda Blair, won. Uh, you'll notice Tatum O'Neill is not on that list. Pause. Best yeah. Supporting Act. Oh, I was looking at Actor. Yeah, I stopped down. to. I skipped that okay. one. Okay. Yeah, best actor, uh, Max von Sydow, playing a 74-year-old man at 44, uh, was nominated, but he lost to this John Hausman guy. 
But the supporting actress, if you look at that list there, the name missing is Tatum O'Neill. And if you go to the next one, which is a one you don't have anymore, which is most promising newcomer, newcomer Tatum, Tatum O'Neill won over Linda Blair. Apparently, Linda Blair came in second in the voting. Um, but realistically, what have these two ever done since, really? Tatum O'Neill has shown up as an adult, as an actress, but that's about it. Yeah, I looked, uh, Linda Blair did some Playboy. Uh, yeah, she uh, she did a, uh, a softcore jail movie, I think, called Chained Heat. That poor girl. Or Caged Heat or something? I don't know. Uh, but she also did The Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Okay. Because I think she was like, I can't do anything but this role. I might as well just do might it as again. Well. And then she was in a Leslie Nielsen parody called Repossessed. <laughs> Dead serious. <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Sam, the movie's over. The Academy Awards are done. Hey, let's let's tone down that sound there. Goodbye. It's been fun. See you later. All right. Sam, what did you think after watching this film? How many years has it been? 44, 44 years. 44 years. It's almost 50 years old. And it still looks and new. And it still <laughs> looks... Not only does it look fantastic, it's still creepy as hell. Uh-huh. <laughs> This I, and I can't even fathom 50 years ago hearing me. Yeah. Me. Uh, this movie is still frightening. Yeah. It's, like it's you, unbelievable. It's a movie that you think to yourself, oh, it's 2017. This is probably toned down. Uh, I could show this to my students. And then you're like, no, this one no. you can't do. No. You can do The Hills Have Eyes. You can do Psycho. You can't do this one. No. Um, like the thing is one of my favorite horror movies uh-huh. of all time, but it's not scary to me. It's it's visually like the John know. Carpenter one. Yes. Okay. Visually, it's you know disturbing. Yeah. But it does. It's not as it's it's a totally different beast than animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And The Exorcist is still scary. It's so wickedly like, w- yeah. As soon as like I remember I. I brought this up to uh, a couple of my roommates. I was like, "Hey, I'm doing a mo- I'm doing the podcast, and we're doing the extras. You guys want to watch it?" I was like, "I know you haven't seen it." I'm like, "No, nope, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. F that. Nope. I don't want anything to do with it. Nope." And I'm like, "It's a piece of history. It is a classic. And it's 45 it's years 45 old. 45 years old. How, what, how, how, scary how could bad it be? can it be?" And they didn't do it. They didn't watch it. it they refused. For a movie that's f- almost 50 years old, they still refuse to watch it. It's still What fighting. other movie can you say does that? I can't think of one. This is the oldest movie that still scares the hell out of me. Yeah. All right. Next segment. Top three. Well, what, bot- do you, what do you think of this movie? Oh, this movie scared the hell out of me. In fact, I called up Steve or afterwards, and I was, he goes, hey, what are you doing? And he goes, I go, well, I just got done watching The Exorcist, so I'm walking around just making sure all my rooms are okay. I'm scared out of my mind right now. <laughs> uh, I don't feel good. Can't wait to go out tonight. And top three, bottom three coming up here. This is where we pick our top three things we love, scenes we like in this movie, and then we choose three things we dislike about the film and or that we find the weakest. So let's start with the top three. Sam, what are your top three things you want to highlight in this movie? So the first thing is definitely that they literally saw the line and they chose to pole vault <laughs> right across it and just keep sprinting. They didn't just stick the landing and, you know, make a couple, you know, little, you know, little 
Let's take a break for a second. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, no, you know, it kept on running. Was, oh, they kept going and going and going and going and going. And pushing the line and pushing the boundary that had been set. Second is I love Father Marin's kind of character and his lack of faith. That that always interests me, mm-hmm. um, being one without faith. Is and it's, it's never you know it's never spiteful. No, like oh yeah, he's losing his faith. Oh yeah, look at this. <laughs> but no, it's just a great you know to be challenged and to see him like jerking away from the women in the psych ward, and then like the homeless man is like, hey, I'm a Catholic, can you help me out? Right. Yeah. And, ha. But she doesn't. Regan also say that to him. Doesn't she say that in the homeless guy's voice to Karis? I don't remember. Yeah. When he's about to leave the room the first time, she says that to him in the homeless guy's voice. And it's going to be like, wait a second. Maybe this is something. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then the third thing is the shot of Father Karis getting out of the taxi. Just the, the cover you mean shot. Marin. Yes, Marin. Yeah, Marin. Yes. Just the, the, the cover shot. It's just so visually pleasing to me and it's just so spooky yeah like that image whenever somebody says the exorcist i don't think of the pea soup i don't think of the twisted head my first image in my head is father Marin stopping at the lamppost and looking up i love that all i got was you you weren't enough uh my number three is father cares a story i like i think you need someone in between Marin and chris uh, to be the balance in between and oh, to sure. push the faith over its edge a little bit. Uh, my number two is you know, to make something authentically scary, you have to make people uncomfortable yet not make them want to walk out. And many of your favorite movies make people uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the mainstream audience would probably walk out of most of those because it's too uncomfortable. Your hostels. Sure. yeah. Uh, saw. saw, yeah. Uh, well, even so, maybe not saw, but jigsaw maybe coming up. But the fact that in 1973, this is coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And if this is released today in theaters, I guarantee you it makes fifty, sixty million dollars in an opening weekend because it's, it's an that exercise. good. And it's that good. Yeah. It is the gold standard. It is the Jaws of Exorcist movies. Oh yeah. Um, and finally, my number one is the special effects. Oh, it, they're so good. From the makeup to how they made things happen in the room to how they got the actress to buy into all of it and go, listen, this is how we're going to do this. I mean, th- there's a shot where you see uh, one of the guys fall to the floor. And it looks like a steady cam shot where you see the floor slowly but surely lift up to him. And because they couldn't just throw him to the floor and do that, they made a rig. Like, spent a day building this rig on the camera where he had to lay on the rig and yeah. the camera would with them and they just lowered it down once and they were like, that's the shot. That's all I needed right there. Like, that's the care they took into this. Um, so it's the special effects. They, they are still amazing. There's only a couple of times where you might see, you might see the fake. Yeah. Uh, but a couple times in a movie before CGI is a lot better than most of the time like you'd see in 1973. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I would even go so far to say, and I know I'm speaking blasphemy here when I say this, that this movie looks more real than Jaws does. Oh, no, hands down. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. What's not bottom three? Time to vent. Sam? The lack of connection as to how 
Pazuzu got from Iraq to Greensville? Georgetown. Georgetown. Yeah. I don't know where you, Greensville is. You were there's close. A G. There's a G. <laughs> That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the linking back to the beginning, I don't think it had enough. Like it, it, it had a good setup, but it wasn't the cleanest intro. Mm-hmm. And then the <laughs> fact that um, Linda Blair didn't win Best Actress. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. There we go. All right. Yeah, my, my, I nailed it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, my number three is the beginning that takes place in northern Iraq. Yeah. I want more connection there. Uh, or at least maybe it fed to me like I'm dumb. I'd like that. My number two is the arteriogram scene. Th- this just, I hate watching this scene every time. I don't like yeah. blood spurting, especially when it looks realistic. I don't like things going Oh, when he it, the blood spurting, that's fine. Like it's gr- it's just ugh. But when he's sticking that long metal, yeah. Ah! The uh, apparently the the doctors that were there were the actual doctors for that hospital. Yeah, so they knew that's the procedure. Terrifying. They knew the procedure. Uh, and my number one is the plunging of the crucifix. That's it's hard to watch. Oh yeah. Uh, no, no matter what year you're watching it, no matter what age you are, it is difficult, difficult, difficult to watch. Because for a second, you sit there going, do I need to turn this off? And then, for some reason, you sit there going, no, they're going to turn this around. It'll be better from now on. <laughs> and it doesn't. It gets progressively worse. <laughs> uh, so that's my number three, two, and one right there. Uh, who's the audience for this movie, Sam? I think... <laughs> Eight-year-olds? I think everyone. <laughs> Eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> you're, ba- um, you're babysitting for the first you're time. for the first time, but you're alone, but you're not, yeah, you're babysitting your little brother. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> um, I think everybody needs to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And now, granted, I don't think you should be seven or six years old. Of age. You should be of, you know. At least 13. Or 12. Depends on how mature you are. Let's say this. If this movie's released today, is it an R or a PG-13? Very R. Very R. So, 18, maybe. But see... In the UK, they rated it X. I'm sure. Yeah. Whenever I have kids, my parenting and, you know, age of... It's different than most conservative families. Yeah. Uh, For me, I honestly think this movie's for anyone who wants to be honestly scared. Not trivially scared, not jump scares. Ooh, ah, look at that. Oh, there's a ghost in the room. This is honestly scared. I'm bringing this back to your point of this movie scares atheists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie scared me when this I was an is atheist. Li- this is literally like making a fairy tale believable and scary. Yeah, and I think they did that with the science. Hit the science first is what helped. Oh, well, uh, yeah, anything factual, and, you know, even the doctors being like, Ick, exorcist? Maybe? Maybe? <laughs> it, it could work as shock therapy? It's brilliant. They were planning on remaking this film in 2015. I think I remember seeing headlines about that. And they backed out of it. Good. And I, I don't know if it's because the Weinsteins were going to produce it <laughs> or... Uh, for what reason whatsoever, but it is a movie that I think you could remake today, but you would have to get relative unknowns to play all the parts again. Yeah. And 
have a, uh, a script that did not require any computer-generated imaging whatsoever. Don't do it. Otherwise, it's not The Exorcist anymore. Yeah, well, it's a James Wan film. Well, they're not going to do it. Movie report card A, B, C, D, or F in the uh, horror film genre. It says animated. <laughs> in the horror film yes. genre. Yes. Sam, give us a grade and some comments to defend your grade. What are you giving it? I want to give it an A, but I give it. Uh, all I'm saying in my head is a B plus. You said horror, but it's it is it's terrifying. It was not made as a horror film. It was made as a drama, but it is widely recognized as a horror film. No, I'm just gonna get that A. Okay, for me, coming up with my grade, I had to think of a lot of things here. Because this is an older movie, do I sit back and say, okay, let me grade this as though I'm in 1973 or grade it by 2017 standards? And like Toy Story, I'm grading it by 2017 standards. Oh, see, I'm grading it by 1973 standards. Um, This movie has aged really well uh, because of the complete and total lack of CGI. Yes. If this movie was made today, you'd have a movie like The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is the best exorcism movie I have seen since, and I've seen a lot of them. Okay. most people think that a movie like this only appeals to those who are devout Christians. Uh, but the smartest thing that Blatty and Freakin' did was truly push the narrative that the mother is an atheist at the beginning. The acting with Ellen Burstyn, Jason Miller, and Max von Sydow is wonderful and carries the movie, orbiting the complete transformation of Linda Blair. It makes sense why this little girl was seen as, the complete, uh, as an up-and-comer. However, she never was able to shake her performance from the eyes of Hollywood, so she didn't really get any other roles. Her performance was so powerful, it ruined her career. William Friedkin directs the hell out of this by getting that performance out of Blair. That being said, there is no way you would see some of his techniques work today on a 12-year-old girl. This is a gem of the 1970s, and thankfully it hasn't deteriorated through VHS, DVD, or Blu-ray in picture quality, which Toy Story does. It's CGI. That's the thing. It's dated. Exactly. Every time there is quiet, or the sound in this movie is equally frightening. Every time that there is quiet on the screen, there is a sound that is like nails on a chalkboard. It's an irritating sound no matter what. Whether it's a thump from the attic or a creak from a door, the sound is a player in this. The only nick I have for this film is the northern Iraq scene, but I understand its relevance. And I just wish, personally, I just wish it was information delivered in a different way. But it's still delivered and it's done well. Overall, this movie's an A in the horror genre. And the best part is it's not even a horror movie. It's a drama first, and that is impressive. Oh, see, I thought, I honestly thought to God you were going to go like, it's a B minus. No, 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 no. Okay. This, this is an A uh, because it transcends it's, the genre. It, it, it's, it's not it just horror. It transcends the genre, but it, it holds its own almost 50 years later. And I will say this. It is one of the few movies that I like that has maybe 2% of it funny. Like, there is no humor in this movie. No. There's no comic (laughs) relief. Uh, If this movie's released on Blu-ray, Sam, this is the enjoyability factor. Do you buy it, bin it, stream it, borrow it, or forget about it? As a collector, buy it. Yeah. I put buy it. Get the extended director's cut uh, so you can see all the making of features. They are equally unsettling. Uh, But that's really all we got time for today. So we got an A and A. This is an A movie. It's It's right up there with Jaws now. Yep.
Hey, that's all we got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Thank you so much for listening to our Exorcist podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks when we decide to do Gremlins for the family film category. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, or I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Special thanks to Twisterium and Soundjay Music for providing any music that we use for any of our other shows. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching!